everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Manufacturing IT podcast. I'm joined today by David Gray. Uh, David is the manager of Global Solution Architects at Emerson, uh, especially in the life science domain. Um, so, David, thanks for joining me on the pod and welcome. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, looking forward to being here for a while. So thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, so today, I think you and I have known each other for a little while now on LinkedIn, um, followed a little bit of kind of your career. So for those of you who don't know, um, David, maybe um, you can start by giving us a bit of an overview into yourself. Sure. Um, I started back in the MES world in the late 90s, working for a company called Base 10 Solutions, um, which was an excellent product. Um, just couldn't make it through the Y2K challenge. Okay. Um, from there, I moved on to, to Pfizer in uh, research and development. So it was kind of like a what I call an MES um, light solution for, for clinical trials packaging. So uh, we work with uh, the clinical manufacturers of Pfizer, um, you know, placebos, the packaging, the labeling, distribution out to the clinical supply sites. And then um, after Pfizer, you know, since 2003, it's been all, you know, pretty much MES from, from 2003 on. Okay. Um, different companies with, with Merck and their core team, uh, Tebra and their core team, Wyeth and their core team. So working in the central group, um, working with different manufacturing sites around the world to, you know, to find out what common processes are, what can they leverage across their you know, individual network to deploy these solutions faster. And then no. uh, after Tebra, was, was, I came to Emerson um, where I managed a, a, a group of engineers uh, who worked on projects and then uh, was promoted to my role of manager of solution architects uh, for Emerson, which has been a, a challenge ever since, a uh, good challenge. Oh, no, really, really interesting background, David. And I guess the, the beauty for your career progression, you've got to straddle that line of being on the end customer side, understanding the deployment challenges, and, and now moving into your latest role and time at Emerson, it gives you a flavor of you know, what the manufacturer is looking for and how you can really help and support their implementations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the challenge is not on the technical end. It's really understanding the company, the culture, what their goals are um, to be able to develop what that solution or determine what that solution is. It's, it's not definitely not a cookie cutter where you go <laughs> with this is our standard solution. It's, you know, tell me about your goals and aspirations. Um, how like are your sites? How like are your processes? You know, do you have uh, support from your executive management for this sharing and harmonization across your plants. You know, so it's, it's, it's all of those higher level questions that really drive the ability to meet the, the customer requirements and uh, their goals. It's, it's a really interesting one, David, because it's a common theme that I'm, I'm starting to hear and see as well, is that we've got more technology than ever and more of a connected plant than ever, but it all boils back to a simple communication of exactly what the goals are and making sure everybody's aligned on that journey. A absolutely. So. <laughs> One of the questions we always get asked is, well, you know, we just, you know, implement this solution at plant one, how much can we leverage in plant two? And it's, well, it's, it, that's not a technical decision, right? That's not a technical yeah. decision. You know, to your point is, are, are how much of those processes, equipment and systems is, is plant two sharing? How much is there leverage? What is their ability or their willingness to adapt to a more centralized solution? Like maybe give up some of that control for the more uh, for the for the betterment of the of the company, right? Sure. No, and, and so you've got an interesting twenty odd years experience with MES. What, what what's changed in in your experience, David, across the MES front over that period? 
It's, it is really that, all right, uh, prior it's been, how do I get the solution into this plant? Um, you know, most plant managers have their own set of um, incentives. They don't really, they weren't prior to it, you know, uh, I say recently incented to be part of that large organization, make sure you're doing what you need to do. Mm. And I say it's been more migrating to, uh, you know, that, that, that core approach of, hey, we need to do this more efficiently as, as an organization. How do we leverage everyone's individual skills while still allowing the plant to, to make use of those decisions, have them the ability to, you know, kind of control their own destiny. Um, and then that combined with the movement to more standards, uh, beats MML, you know, tr trying to develop those standards that we can leverage across the industry to where we're all talking the same language. Sure. Okay, now we understand what you're trying to get back and forth between these systems. We understand what you're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, with, uh, you know, tech transfer, the, a big challenge, there are no standards right now for how do we communicate um, the parameters that you use in clinical to the manufacturing process, you know, pilot the scale up. So yeah. how, how do you do that without a common language? And what we try to avoid is that point to point, all right, this is your solution. This is your solution. So, if, uh, you know, hopefully within the near future, there'll be some development of some uh, recipe structure standards outside of say S88 that would help with that, um, that communication at the enterprise level from, you know, uh, clinical manufacturing to pilot to commercial. No, that's really interesting. And I think something from, you know, a lot of my audiences within that kind of life science, pharma, biotech domain, and we've also got quite a large following outside of that. So it's really interesting to talk about that harmonization across different processes and that getting kind of standards and, and process in place on that front. So that, that's interesting, David. So one of the things I was also curious about is obviously, you know, you mentioned in your, your, your profile, I can see you've done a lot of time integrating MES into, you know, vertical integration, MES, PLM, BCS, all the vertical integrations possible. What is the biggest challenge that you faced or what's the biggest challenge that manufacturers face when looking for the, the integration of these systems? Uh, that's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> I, 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 don't think there's, <laughs> I don't think there's one set of challenges. Um, it, it's uh, their own, their, their company's own ability to, communicate the requirements, right? Do, do the companies have their own technical expertise in-house to understand what they want? Because a lot of times what they'll say is, we don't want to change our ERP system. We don't want to change our DCS system. So, you know, the, the flexibility that we have with Syncade allows us to say, okay, it's not typically what we recommend is doing one-offs or, um, you know, adapting. You really should adapt your process for the long-term, right? The, the benefit of long-term uh, you know, that, that standard process, you know, mapping to the industry's standards is going to benefit you. However, because you don't want to modify these systems and these other, um, you know, your other business processes, we're kind of forced to sometimes, all right, let's develop, let's account for that and putting these, these special things here and there. So if we can um, convince customers that, you know, look at the long-term the, the total cost of ownership across the lifespan, not only from implementation, but ownership and beyond the maintenance aspect. I think that would go a long way of helping customers um, realize, uh, you know, more benefit. And how challenging is that conversation to have? I mean, and who starts that conversation in your experience? 
Uh, it, it, it's usually the customer. So okay. it's, you know, we say this is our standard approach for say implementing ERP. These are the transactions we typically do. This is the work that's required on your side. Mm, well, we don't want to do that. So <laughs> our, why is that you don't want to do that? And a lot of times it boils down to is we don't have access to those people on a, on a you know, sufficient timeline to meet our project requirements. So we don't have access to those internal people that would help do that work. Um, or on the DCS end, it's, you know, it's a lot of work. We just put this in. We don't want to change it. How can you adapt to it or minimize that change on the DCS end? Okay, well, this is what we can accomplish from the customer side. We're willing to do as little as possible. We, we just have to be able to communicate that benefit. No, it, it's an interesting one because it's always been a challenge that I've under, you know, I've always seen in the marketplace is how, how the technology companies have those conversations with customers and who leads that conversation and who kind of starts the ball rolling on that. So no, interesting to get your perspective. So um, one of the other areas I was keen to, to touch upon with, with yourself, David, is that, you know, obviously such a, a long career you've had in, in kind of life sciences and especially around digital manufacturing. What, what are the kind of trends that you're starting to see and hear in the market now about, you know, the customers moving further along their digital transformation journey? Yeah, the, the companies on, well, I'll say on the, um, the leading edge, it's really tech transfer that is a challenge. Yeah. So it's, our, you know, we want to get the, the cost of technology transfer from a new product, um, you know, under, under a million, and we want it done within three months. So it's a conceptually easy problem if you think about it. It is you manufacture a drug, it's small scale, right? Yeah. You have to follow the process. But how you scale that up throughout, you know, the pilot and commercialization phase. So, all right, the, the heat parameters, the, you know, the, the agitation settings, those are all common things. But how do you define that in a, in a structure that eases that tech transfer to say, this is what we did in clinical. When we move to pilot next scale up, all right, let's just transfer all that information. Now that really reduces your cost and time to implement that, that solution. Um, to make that product. So conceptually, it's easy, but technically very difficult. Yes, okay. And so that's, that's a common theme or common challenge that you're, you're noticing in the market at the moment as well. It, yeah, the cost of technology transfer is, is very high on the, the requirements for, for our customers. And you know, luckily with Emerson, we have the products to be able to do that and orchestrate uh, that, that, um, the technical engineering that goes behind it. Um, we're still working on the standards though, is, that's where we'd like is we're part of, um, you know, uh, the bioform that helps develop yes. those standards. Um, now it's just a matter of, you know, getting those standards more broadly accepted and say, if we can all agree to do it this way um, with, within this structure, within this uh, context, we'll all be a lot better off uh, as an industry. No, re really interesting. And I think that's uh, something that I'm starting to see and hear more of as well. So interesting as well. But um, one of the other questions I was curious on, David, is obviously you've got a, the global responsibility with Emerson and focused on maybe kind of global rollouts with projects. What, what are the biggest challenges when a manufacturer is looking to, to roll out an MES solution or a DCS integration globally? You know, of course, you've got different time zones, different sites, different geopolitical challenges. But what, what, what advice would you give or what are your thoughts on those kind of global projects? Yeah, I would say start at the top down, right? So from the executive sponsorship level, you know, what do we want to accomplish out of this, right? And hopefully there's KPIs and metrics. Hey, our, our last deployment cost is X. 
if we can get better at that, you know, we can get that cost down. Great. All right. Now, what do we what do we need to do to do to accomplish that? So, yeah. you know, I've seen it on both ends from where, you know, the definition of what that central that central object that central system looks like is different based on their willingness to be able to do that. Some yes, customers okay. say our 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 solution, our global solution is is standardizing on platform X, and that's it, right? So so and we'll just manage the the knowledge transfer how we do that internally, right? We don't want to leverage everything. And the complete opposite end of the spectrum is we are, we are standardizing on platform X. Um, the integration to ERP is the exact same if they have a central ERP system. Um, these are the objects within the recipe structure that we're using. We want all the sites when they consume a material safe to be able to do it the exact same way. If they do weigh and dispense, there's only so many ways you can dispense a material. We want it all done the exact same way. In order to get to that level, uh, which is called you know, increasing your operational leverage, right? You're replacing those variable costs to, uh, to deploy to the site with fixed costs, right? I have this centralized core team that manages these objects. You need a lot more communication on the front end. What can we as a company agree to and standardize on? Well, there is these maybe two dozen sets of things we can agree on of how we do it consistently. And then when you get to that site, there's no more requirements gathering, you've done that centrally within those groups to say, this is how we've all agreed we're gonna do it. Okay, now let's deploy that and let's test that out. So that upfront communication, the goal definition at the company level, um, along with uh, the identification of metrics to be able to track how you're doing against your goal would be, um, um, I think how I would approach it in that executive's, you know, that executive's level. Um, yeah, no, really interesting in getting that standardization and the kind of key metrics in place. Is there any kind of specifics on that front? Any kind of key metrics that, you know, would be a gold standard, David? I don't think there are ones or gold standards yet. You know, again, it, sure. it depends on what you have. Sometimes it's just, hey, you know, is, is, is the, you know, the cost of site two less than site one? Okay. <laughs> um, but ideally it would be, you know, engineer hours, uh, the cost of engineering hours per dose. Um, you know, keeping track of, you know, how much time and effort do we spend, you know, in the configuration and the validation. Hopefully, those times and those costs shrink as you yeah. increment through your site. Um, is it getting easier? Um, is there, you know, less um, barriers to the, you know, plant floor operators to adoption? They, they understand the benefit, um, but there is. No, I don't say there is a gold standard. I think that's where I think we as an industry can do better in terms of. Um, let's define their standard KPIs for, you know, leveraging these objects across plans and our implementation. And unfortunately, I think at this moment, it's just straight, you know, cost, right? Is cost one less than cost two? <laughs> no, interesting. Um, and I guess, you know, looking at your career, David, you've obviously progressed from the manufacturer side. So, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but maybe your background is a little bit on the OT side and, and understanding the shop floor and manufacturing processes, but obviously now, working at that convergence level at the MES layer, um, what kind of advice would you give someone maybe looking to, to build a career similar to yours or to, to maybe kind of get the rounded experience to take a position similar to yours? Yeah, uh, first I say understand yourself, right? Because that's always the key to, I think any, any kind of growth is understanding what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you like to do, what you don't like to do. Because all four of those things are, are, are equally as important. I don't like doing slides. I'm not good at it. Um, 
However, it's, it's critical to be able to communicate that to customers. So I found I had a strength in understanding the manufacturing process and giving the set of constraints on a tool, like when I've dealt with base 10 or now it's a case, I understand the constraints of the system. So now I know how to map one area into the tool. So once you understand yourself, understand your long-term goals, right? So what skills do you not have that you currently need? Um, and then developing a plan to implement those. So for example, my, my actual experience is on the MESN from the beginning. So electronic batch records, Wayne dispense, those types of things. Um, later in my career, I learned the, the DCSN, right? The, okay. um, the OT end. So, all right, you know, as a inquisitive person that came naturally to me, well, what about this? What about that? So as I talk to you, Daniel, I think that the second thing is, is don't be afraid to ask questions. Inquisitive nature. Yeah, the reason I'm here today standing before you is, or sitting before you is because I'm not afraid to ask questions. And it's not high school where you should be afraid to raise your hand. Um, if you're new in your position and you don't understand the context of discussion, you know, ask whether, if you don't think it's appropriate to ask meaning in the meeting, that's fine. Talk to your manager, talk to your peers. Hey, what was that they're talking about? You know, um, you know, XML or, or, or Node-RED or, or OBC web, what, what are those things? Okay, and you just incrementally build your knowledge um, to where you feel more comfortable and understand the context of those decisions. And then pretty soon you're, well, hey, what's your opinion on that? You, you become a little more the expert yeah. because of that inquisitive nature and your willingness to take on those, um, some of those assignments. I think that's a really, really salient point about that inquisitive nature and having that curious mind to, to ask those questions. And as you say, it's always comfortable or it should always be a comfortable environment to ask questions. But I guess some people are naturally more prone to, you know, wanting to make things work and understanding how things work <laughs> and breaking it down. It, yeah. So it, yeah. The, the, one of the things I learned early on was uh, the first rule of MES and, and, and MOM is just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> and to your, to your point, Daniel, that's exactly it, right, is I have a problem, I need you to solve. Okay, and it's, I think it's our human nature to want to solve problems. Yeah. And if you get into that mode of, are right, you have a problem, I need to solve it. I think to get you know, that, that next level, well, why do you have that problem, right? Is this a solution we should be solving? You know, what are your options? Like, the, it's, it's, it's like almost like the, the, you know, the mag process, right? To, define the problem measure it, and then part of the process is, what options do we have to solve that problem? One of which is technical, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, we'll do what you need us to do, we'll implement this solution, but let's look at and let's explore some of those options about why you have that problem. Are there other ways, maybe more cost-effective to address that issue? So it's, it's trying to stay out of that, um, hey, everything, you know, we have a, a hammer that is MES, everything looks like a nail, <laughs> so, but you need to have that, that, that also the consultative approach to say, you know, all right, let, why do you have that? This is why we don't expect, or we, I would say, say expect, but this is why we don't think it's in your best interest to go down this technical nature. What you're doing is not say an industry standard practice. The total cost of ownership of this custom solution is going to be exorbitant. Every time you have an upgrade, you have to do a risk assessment, you know, so just, you know, um, you know, understanding what a good solution is. It's a good solution is not always the most highly automated solution. It's the one that provides the most business benefit in a consistent 
you know, safe, pure and effective uh, drug. Wow. I like, I like that. Dave. I think we're going to keep that as a, a little golden nugget to, uh, to post that as well. I think that's a really good point as well. But I think, you know, given your experience with, with MES, what, what do you see as the kind of the horizon or the landscape for MES? Obviously, manufacturers are getting more cost sensitive. And you mentioned the cost of tech transfer is something that's very clear on, on many manufacturers' minds. But, you know, given your extensive experience with MES, what do you see as kind of the maybe next 10 years looking like for, for the MES world? Yeah, I, I think it's it's an exciting time to be in the industry, right? Because I, mm. I I I have no idea. <laughs> um, but but just, as we talk through this, I think it's um, you know looking at you know that the personalized medicine space, right, the ATMP mm. space, um, where you have that smaller scale, the autologous medicines, it is specific to a, a patient. The chain of identity, chain of custody, is really important. So it's no longer about how do I, how do I build this drug for the masses, right? It's where scale um, in batches is, is less important. So now you're down to the equipment manufacturers. Mm. How do I get them to develop a standard to where we understand when trying to pull that information in, um, you know, having them build in say an OPC server in their, in their really small device. Um, how do I get that information out of that device and into um, the batch record and into the analytics systems to, to improve the process. Um, yeah, that, that's where my question was, Daniel, is, is kind of what is the ratio of those large stainless steel plants that we deal with? What is the ratio of that to single use? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the more flexible, um, you know, limit the balance of plant activities, uh, those types of questions. I'm really curious to see how, how the industry um, matures and where it's coming to. So right now with I, uh, you know, the IoT, manufacturing 4.0, 5.0, um, it, it's a really exciting time. I think we're right in the national uh, pieces of it to, to hopefully develop some of those standards uh, industry-wide to, to facilitate that communication um, going forward. I, I, that's where I hope we go. Where, where yeah, it actually I goes, no idea. <laughs> No, exactly. Crystal ball territory, David. But I think that that's an interesting one. I think from my perspective, I see a lot of companies now looking to leverage that cell and gene, personalized medicine space. So how can we get those single batches and how can we create the return on that investment? But I think that's a really interesting space where I think MES will go personally, from what I'm hearing. Um, you touched upon you know, manufacturing 4.0, industry 4.0. What are the, um, is there like any common technologies that you're having more conversations about, you know, whether it's be it artificial intelligence, machine learning, IIoT, sensors, software. Is there any of those technologies that you're starting to see more customers asking a question about? Yeah, yeah I'd say the more advanced ones are it kind of, how do we simplify our architecture through the efficient use of technology? So, you know, the, the data lake concept, right, is, yes. is can we have um, uh, you know, one system uh, that is a repository for our data, our transactional data, to where we have a single source, right? We're no longer, we don't have all this information in, in nine different places. We have it in one place, there's a single point of truth, um, and then we reference those objects. So it's, it's how do we um, leverage, say, the, the data lake with OPC UA, um, and those, those say MQTT to get the data between the different places that load bandwidth, you know, from the devices. So how do we leverage the most efficient way possible? Because companies don't want an expert in, in one piece here or, or a piece there. If instead of doing 
uh, you know, something different 10,000 different ways, they'd rather do the same thing 10,000 10, times, right? So it's, yeah. and if we can get to that point to where we have a very simplified architecture and it's just the, the information that we're passing back and forth, um, how we do it, those technologies are standard, but it's just, you know, communicating over say the OPC UA, uh, the published subscribe methods, um, you know, getting to that point, I think would be uh, a great, you know, step forward for us. That's, I think that's where the most, most of our, uh, the more advanced ones are looking for is uh, that simplified architecture, um, you know, reporting analytics all coming out of that, that data context that is, you know, in a, in a single location. Yeah. And I think that's something that we're seeing across manufacturing verticals, obviously not just life science, but how can we leverage that data for, for various other use cases as well. So that kind of data sourcing and data, you know, usability makes a lot of sense, I think. Yeah. Um, one of the areas that, that I, I, you know, predominantly my network, as I mentioned, David, is within kind of pharma, life science, biotech, but I've also got a lot of highly skilled MES professionals in my network who are maybe looking to break into the life science domain. It's the whole chicken and egg where companies, it's hard to hire someone without the experience, but how'd you get the experience? Is there any kind of educational training, reading material, anything like that that you could, you know, suggest for somebody maybe looking to kind of get into life science space that you think that reading that would be great or doing this would be awesome? Anything like that? Uh, I would say, you know, an understanding of, uh, say, our, our, the industry standards, good documentation practices. So the level of fidelity, the documentation that we use in life sciences is you know far greater than than, than food and beverage oil and gas mm. you know so so understanding you know how those things work gamp five is another one so yeah. uh you know reading and understanding gamp five the risk-based approach um i'm trying to think if there's anything out there in terms of standards or or courses of content that would allow someone to do that um but you know um looking up like say gamp five Good documentation practices. Um, I just had one on the tip of my tongue and I lost uh, my, lost my <laughs> um, twenty one CFR Part Eleven, right? The, yeah. the requirements for electronic signatures, electronic records, um, th those those kind of technical documents and understanding. Okay, now when I know when I move into this industry, there's a higher bar, right? It's you know the, the ultimate goal is again creating a, a, a drug that's safe, pure, and effective. And how, how do I contribute to that goal um, through the MES space? Uh, I think that would be, those three are the ones I can think of. No, I think, I think that's really useful information, David. And I think, you know, as I said, I've got a lot of people in my network are looking to get into life sciences, but what, what do you think about people wanting to leave life sciences because there is so much standardization, so many regulations, so much documentation, do you see a, a slow trickle of people wanting to leave life sciences or, or do you see it not like that? Uh, I, I do see that you have to have a, a very, um, you have to have a, a attention to detail, right? So you have, <laughs> that's gonna be part of your nature to work in this industry. I don't see really a migration out of it. I think it's, uh, most people I've had experience with, I've had, I've been extremely lucky in my career. I work with excellent people all the way from beginning to end. Uh, the quality groups are, you know, exceptional. I haven't worked with a quality group who, you know, cannot communicate why we're doing this. So if you have that goal in mind and you're part of that, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of the research scientists who create these drugs, right? It's, yeah. So being able to contribute, I think is, 
Uh, one of those things just, at least for me, it helps me come to work every day. I don't, I don't, you know, claim to have more importance than I do, right? It's, it's those, again, those research scientists who create these drugs, but I can play a small part in, you know, helping, you know, these companies develop these things, you know, safer, pure, more effective and, and, you know, inefficiently, I think that helps, but I do think, you know, you, I don't see people leaving, but I think there are challenges when we go through this. Oh, I didn't realize this is what it takes um, yeah. to be able to do this uh, uh, and understand that, that level of quality that's consistent across the industry. Um, I do think there are more people trying to get into this than they're yeah. trying to get out. So I think there's a net positive there. And just to your point, that, that's an excellent question of how do we get people into life sciences that may have experience in say food and beverage? But I'm sure you're aware given the industry right now is we're, um, there's a, a lack of experience throughout. So I think there are probably companies, if you can show some experience in MES on your resume outside of a different industry, okay, we can teach them yeah. uh, you know, the standards and our processes of how we do this. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, I think now is probably an excellent time to get into the life sciences. I think that, you know, we touched upon earlier that inquisitive nature of, you know, being curious and wanting to learn and such. Obviously that that's a pre pretty important part for this person's makeup. But I think what I'm also seeing is, you know, this huge skills gap in the manufacturing space. And again, that's not just life sciences, but inclusive of life sciences. And we're seeing that kind of, you know, maybe the baby boom generation, you know, leaving the industry, retiring and, you know, Gen Z and um, the millennial generation, maybe, you know, are they interested in working in manufacturing? And, you know, it's pretty widely accepted consensus that getting that shop floor, understanding that process experience, and maybe the uncarpeted side of the business is not so appealing to, 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 to a younger generation. So how do we kind of get that skills gap and bridge that skills gap? That's, that's what I'm really seeing as one of the biggest challenges facing industry right now. It, yeah, it, it's not gonna be without pain, right? And I don't, I don't <laughs> think there's, there's only one route to, to doing what we do, right? Um, we always found it was beneficial to hire people from the shop floor. Mm. So, you know, if you can prove to that younger generation, hey, this is this is, you know, there's a you know, moral imperative, right? This is we contribute to the to the betterment of society and be able to explain that benefit, um, and then understanding that 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 process, right? That that shop floor experience is 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 you know, I'll say it's critical at some level, right? But it's how you get in. Is it? We always meet with the customers. It's always a plant walk down as part of our part of our process. Let's see. We talked about how you do it. Now let's go see it. Um, <laughs> let's ask the questions. Yeah. To, the, to the operators <laughs> yeah but yeah how we get people in uh that, that you know that that younger generation that that's a that's an excellent question um you know we at emerson we try and hire you know chemical biomedical engineers people who have that you know a rigorous curriculum to begin with but then you know i think through their education understand a little more about you know the biologic processes you know um other other chemical process going on behind the scenes so being able to translate that and say well this is what you'd be doing in this environment does that appeal to you um, we've had some success in doing that um, we've had a lot of people um, coming to emerson uh, you know, from those colleges with those backgrounds so just you know part of that is is explaining you know how we contribute to that overall goal of, of society and, and, and improving people's lives um, Hopefully, the, I think this generation is more towards towards that element. So we can convince, you know, those younger people, we're doing this for a reason. 
Um, you know, I go to bed at night, you know, sleeping well, knowing, you know, business is part of the game. It is to help drug companies make money, but there is a, you know, there's a cost that they go through to, to save lives, right? This mm. is, you know, I going through that process of, you know, trying something out, having it fail, you know, there are research scientists who go their own whole career without working on a successful drug. I, you know, that, that baffles my mind and they're you know, a key part of this industry. Um, so convincing, I think the younger generation of, you know, there is a goal that there is a benefit we provide society uh, would be a, a way to, I guess, um, I say market this, this industry to, to that younger generation. I think that's a really good point and something maybe kind of not really thought about before in terms of kind of that, that moral perspective, but also the kind of, you know, mission and values of the people, because that's, that's definitely something that's going to be more prevalent as the skills gap only gets bigger and uh, talent shortage and everybody's, you know, hiring technology professionals. How, how can we really align with, you know, our future workforce's core values and stuff? And I think what you just said there, David, about, you know, selfing to, you know, improve efficiently, improve, improve efficiency even to, to save a patient's life. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they said at the end of the day, they're, you know, pharmaceutical companies are a business, but that's how they, you know, improve people's lives is, you know, with the availability of capital, right. Is, is mm -hmm. to be able to, if we can do our job more efficiently, you know, they can, you know, research more drugs. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just, you know, making sure you know, the younger generation doesn't have that, you know, I'll long we'll call it jaded perspective of all right, there, you know, there's a downside to to that business. Well, you know, it's a world we live on with, you know, um, having a return of capital to stockholders. That, that's great. They, they provide a value by, you know, funding those plants and funding this research. So, yeah, you know, aside from that, there, there's, when you go to a hospital, you get a drug, you know, it's made safe, pure and effective under regulations, um, you know, providing that, that um, that benefit to the patient is the ultimate goal. I look at the kind of speed to market as well with, you know, obviously the COVID-19 and the vaccinations cool. and how quickly the speed to market and, you know, getting that product to the masses. It's, uh, yeah, it's an, it can be an inspiring industry for sure. That's an excellent example, Daniel, is, is you know, with, with COVID, how, how quickly they went through that, that development process, the expedited process. I think that's how the system should work, right? And, and we've proven... Um, you know, with you know, the government industry pairing together, saying there's a crisis here. Let's let's see how we we do this quickly and effic efficiently. That was a, a great example of a great win across, I think, for the industry as well. Oh, definitely, and I think David, that's a really good time to, or like natural conclusion to the conversation. So I really appreciate your time. I you know I appreciate you've got a, a hectic schedule and uh, covering multitude of projects so thanks for taking the time to speak to us and um yeah thank you very much thank you for your time daniel i appreciate being here hopefully i would provide some uh some value to your your, your podcast and your group um i enjoyed speaking with you bye